What's going on, Packers fans? Aaron Nagler here along with Andy Herman once more into the breach to talk some football after a season-ending loss in San Francisco in the divisional round. Andy, before we dive in here, I want to say I want to thank you for coming on here each and every week after every game to talk to me about the game because goodness knows it's just nice to talk to someone who obsesses over it the same way I do and undoubtedly has already poured over the tape and looked at all the decision-making and the missed opportunities and things of that nature. I just really appreciate the time each and every week, man. And right back at you. Uh, we have gone through the gamut. A lot of these have been therapeutic. A lot of Ooh. these have been celebratory. Um, and it's been quite the interesting season. But to your point, it, it always makes it more fun when there's someone along on the ride with you, especially uh, you and I see very, very things very similarly a lot of the time, sometimes slightly different. But um, it's been a hell of a ride. It's been, it's been a ton of fun. Totally agree. Uh, unlike that game last night where I want to say there was a point Probably, you know, obviously when the Packers uh, converted the two-point conversion to go up 21-14, where you thought, okay, we're in control, which I didn't expect to see coming into this game. I knew it would be hard. I knew it would be hard fought. I I knew it was a very tough opponent on the road. I was ready for a dogfight. But to see them take control the way they did midway through the third quarter, that was the probably most surprising aspect of the game. But then to watch how they couldn't add to that lead in any significant way, Aaron Jones, I think, got three carries after that point. The way the offense kind of faltered down the stretch, really disappointing considering how kind of on fire they had been over the course of the last month or so. But I was encouraged by some of the things Matt LaFleur showed and the way they were able to take advantage of that defense, especially on the perimeter with some of the pitches and the runs where they had wide receivers pinning the defensive ends. I was, you know, surprised somewhat by how effective Matt's game planning was for much of the game. Obviously, again, fourth quarter was uh, a disappointment, to say the least. But I was heartened with how this young team went on the road and, you know, put it to the 49ers and controlled that game for yep. much of the contest. This is one of those like ultimate Rorschach tests. And man, you can go <laughs> through this game and oh, yeah. watch so much of this game and be so impressed with what they did a team that was two and five, never expected to be there, is in control up 21-14 going into the fourth quarter with the opportunity to go to an NFC championship game. Uh, the way that they responded to adversity early in this game, there's the opportunity where you're you're you know, you're down seven six and the 49ers get the ball with four minutes left in the half, and they're set to take the ball in the start of the second half. And you're wondering at the time, it was like, man, is this going to be like 21 to six next time the Packers get the ball back? And no, it's seven, six, the next time they get the ball back. And then for green Bay to, to go down and score that touchdown and and San Francisco to go and score it right back. And you're just like, all right, this is going to be, and then you have the kick return and that crazy play and they get another (laughs) touchdown right back. There was, there just never seemed to be any fear from this team. And they were such a joy to watch all season long. And I think that's what just digs the dagger in that much more in so many ways is that one, you just wanted to see this team keep playing because they've been so fun. So it sucks that you have to see it end. Uh, Two is that they were in control. They had the game. They're up, uh, what, 21 to to 17 ball first and 10 on the 49ers, 24 yard line with less than eight minutes remaining. And you're thinking it's right there and just one punch into the end zone, which they've been doing with seemingly ease over the course of the past handful of weeks. And this game might be over and they can't get it in the missed field goal. We know the rest, but 
Um, those are the things that, again, on the other side of the Rorschach test, if you want to look at all the things that went wrong, it's not quite Seahawks-esque, but there's a lot of one-offs that you say, man, if this switches one way the other direction, Green Bay goes and, and maybe wins this in a relatively easy fashion. Let's start on the offensive side with Jordan Love, because we've talked a lot about how outstanding he has been down the stretch yeah. here. I mean, basically since that second or the first Vikings game, sorry. He's been incredible. He's been one of, if not the best quarterback in football. My biggest fear heading into this game was, okay, here's where it all falls apart for Jordan. I yeah. thought there was a decent chance because of the 49ers' ability to just rush four and play tons of different coverage behind with those excellent linebackers and the way they're able to collapse a pocket or pressure a quarterback by only rushing four. I thought the... The chances for, you know, a tough game from Jordan were high, but he impressed me through much of the contest right up until the fourth quarter. And it felt like, and this is not quantifiable, but it sure felt like the pressure got to him a little bit as far as missing some throws, missing some reads. There was some miscommunication. I know the Aaron Jones miss on third down. That's clearly a case of he thought he was going to sit down. Jones yep. keeps, is, keep, you know, keeps going just a miss there, but for the most part, I'm not going to say it was shocking, but it was somewhat jarring to see Jordan re almost revert to early season form in the fourth quarter because of how, I mean, at, he was playing at such a high level through the course of the last two months or so. That, to me, was a bit surprising. Uh, what you mentioned earlier about like how the offense had the opportunities at the end goes hand in hand with this. And uh, what I was going to point out earlier, and I'm glad we get the opportunity to go through it here, those last four drives, right? They go interception, um, you know, three and outs, which is a uh, bad throw again on yep. a should have been pretty easy. And I understand they're just trying to get some yardage, yep. make it a more manageable possible attempt there. But I mean, that's, that's an egregious miss. It you know, was something that you would think he'd be able to hit pretty easily. And, and has been for the, you know, especially the second half of the season, but it goes interception three and out missed field goal interception to end the game. I don't think it's, it should be lost that that stretch completely coincided with Zach Tom being out of the game. And I'm not yeah. saying it's necessarily apples to apples, but uh, it's when the rush seemed to start getting a home a little bit more. And it just felt like there was a not quite the same comfortability in the pocket that we've seen from Jordan. And to your point from earlier, they got there with four man rush a ton of times and they, mm -hmm. they didn't have to bring extra pressure, which Jordan has been so incredible against. And I think you, you just, for parts of this game, you never really quite felt like he got into that same rhythm that he's been in, in previous games. I mean, from the first throw where he kind of just overshoots Aaron Jones on the little swing pass, yeah. uh, obviously the Tucker craft play where he's high and outside, Again, the, the, the miscommunication with Jones, if you see before the snap, like Jones is like looking like, what's the play? What's the play? I don't yep. even know if he knew. Yeah. The he play. didn't. You literally see him get set because he doesn't want to be called for a penalty, but he has no idea no what idea. the play is. Yeah. So I don't even know if Jordan's expecting him to be there, much right. less of like, all right, should I stop? Should I keep going? Like that was maybe one where you call a timeout knowing how, again, just kind of disjointed they were before is. the snap, yeah. but that's hindsight. But yeah, it just, it never quite fell like through them, but you still had these immaculate Jordan love plays that we've come to expect some magical moments and a lot still to build on moving forward. And uh, you would love to have the the last play back and just to throw that one out of bounds. Um, sometimes you have to take the good with the bad with some of the off platform ad lib stuff that he's doing, but I have no doubt he's going to learn from that one. I mean, you hope, right? Because that was yeah. akin and reminiscent of some of the early season stuff, especially those late drives. Gotta have it. And then, just some soul crushing interceptions. I mean, that was Favre-esque 
that final throw of the season. I'm sure that will sit with him through much of the offseason. I'm sure, you know, he and Matt will work on and discuss all these end of game situations where, you know, he talked about you needs to get better. He knows that. Yeah. Um, This is kind of random, but it kind of fits into a bigger picture. Were you surprised at how little Christian Watson was involved? I mean, this is now the two weeks he, he's been back. They've ba- they barely utilized him. And we saw, you know, earlier this season and of course last year, what an incredibly dynamic weapon he can be. But it felt like he was mostly an afterthought in the game plan. Like yeah. it's not a sense of, you know, he missed balls or mi- dropped something or had opportunities that he didn't rise to the occasion. He just was an afterthought, which to me was really surprising against this secondary in particular. Yeah, there, there's, I have two sides of this coin as well. The, the, uh, number one is yes. I, you figure there's at least a, a few plays in the playbook that you want to get to specifically designed to get the ball in the hands of one of your biggest playmakers on the team with the ball in his hands. And I'm not saying you have to target him eight times in the game, but uh, can you, can you, maybe it's just an end around or a reverse, maybe something where you get the ball in his hands and there's a little bit more of a plan and a design to utilize his skill set. I think there's absolutely something to that. I think the other thing that I mentioned yesterday too is I think going forward, we're also going to have to recognize that there are a lot of mouths to feed within oh, this yeah. offense oh, and yeah. every single game, like last week, it was, you know, it's a Watson and Melton and um, Jaden Reed that just didn't get the, the targets at all this year. It, it, this week it was Watson and Dontavian Wicks had no catches in this game. And like, we're just going to get to the point where every week it's like, well, this guy was barely even involved in the offense. And it's going <laughs> right. to be like, that's just going to happen because there's, there's so many mouths to feed. And Jones obviously had the hundred plus yards. Uh, I think Musgrave got six targets. Dobbs played great again, had six targets. So some of that's just going to be the, the numbers game of them trying to figure out who they want to feature and how they want to get those guys involved. But I do think you probably need a little bit more of a cognizant effort of, hey, this guy's really freaking good when he's healthy, and you probably need to find a way to get the ball in his hands a little bit more. Uh, you mentioned Zach Tom going out with injury. Um, yeah. I will say, even when he wasn't in there, but when he was in there, I was impressed with their work up front. I mean, that is an insanely talented defensive line. Yep. Um, a team that gets after the quarterback relentlessly. But man, I was, you know, again, I was pretty damn impressed with their work in that environment on the road, again, with the sound, the noise and the elements and everything that was going on. The fact that they could operate on offense as well as they did is a real testament to the work they did along the offensive line. And it's a just a hopefully a great harbinger of what's going to come moving forward for this team. That is that is a really, really good 49ers team in a really difficult stadium to play from. That that crowd was loud going into that game. There is awful weather conditions. And Green Bay still stood with them punch for punch through the entirety of that game. Unfortunately, came up a little bit short. Couldn't put that last drive together. But again, I mean, this is I felt like overall they kind of played like a C, C minus, C plus game against one of the best teams in football in their environment. And they were right there and had every opportunity to win. And again, we're able to even kind of look at some of these things and you're without Bakhtiari, you're without Zach Tom, Christian Watson's not super involved. You know, Jordan has a couple bad picks. And like, if you would have told all of that, I would have been like, yeah, San Francisco is probably just winning by 17, but no, they, they <laughs> hung in there. They, they got the points. They were up by seven late. Um, just uh, unfortunately didn't end their way, but there's, there's still so many freaking positives to take away from this team and where they're going moving forward. And one last kind of note on the offense. I, like I said, there's so much kind of positive that you can draw from. There's certainly negative that you can look at. I just, I have to give a shout out to Matt LaFleur for the fact that this team, as you're stating, just 
stood toe to toe with the number one seed in the NFC yep. coming off rest in their house. And yeah, there there's things you can quibble with. I mean, at the end, I don't know if he let them score. I don't know if that was the call. Sure looked like it, but the use of timeouts, things of that nature, I like I, I can quibble with those all day. But where this team was earlier in the season, given who they are and where they are roster wise to be at this point at all, and then to go toe to toe and take it down to the wire. It's a real testament to Matt LaFleur and his coaching ability. And I thought I saw a really well-coached team last night on the road in the playoffs, not, you know, in any way, shape or form flinching from any adversity, any moment, nothing was too big for them. I, you know, again, I get people are going to quibble with, the game management stuff. And there's certainly things that you can quibble about, but overall this guy can, can coach. And I'm really glad he's the head coach of the Packers. The same. There are few, if any, you know, coaches that I would rather have as head coach of green Bay right now. Um, The culture is, has been great. They've not ever, you know, quit on the season. They've had opportunities to, (laughs) they never have. Uh, They've rallied around him every single time. He cares about the team. Like there is so many things that are going well for this team in that locker room and the future of this organization. And a lot of it's due to the culture that he's built. And just the fact that, man, if if we just really pause and take a timeout and go back to three and six and sitting face, looking to face Herbert and the Lions on the road on Thanksgiving and uh, Patrick Mahomes at, at home on Sunday night football as this daunting three game stretch coming up. Man, we were all talking like, man, this could be three and nine, maybe four and eight. Um, this might just be like what it is moving forward. Maybe Jordan's an okay quarterback. Maybe he ends up being good, but there's still some question marks there. And there was like just, I mean, it was every week. It was fire everyone, terminate everyone, <laughs> cut everyone, yep. um, every, everything you could possibly imagine. And we're kind of back to that after yesterday's game. <laughs> yeah, it's a good time. Full good circle. <laughs> full circle. Um, but to go from that, and, I mean – really think back of what that was like at the time to going into a game where we're now all disappointed because they were this close to an NFC freaking championship game. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it, he deserves so much credit for, for turning that around and really the job that he's done this season. And the, uh, big uh, question heading into the off season when it comes to Matt LaFleur and his, uh, you know, approach as it were, you're talking about the culture, uh, and of course his staff, And the A number one question is his defensive coordinator and whether he will retain him or not. Now, I will say, and as the, you know, long time railing against Joe Barry denizen of the Internet here that I am, I thought Joe called a hell of a game last night on balance. And I thought there were plenty of opportunities, again, for that defense to fold. And they stood up to a challenge again and again and again. But what absolutely destroyed my soul was the approach on the final drive where I'm sure you, I know I, and probably every other Packers fan was in full expectation of the 49ers simply driving right down the field and scoring, which is of course what transpired. And the, I guess, approach to play so conservatively at the end when like make a choice, either you're going to come after them and try and get them you know, behind the sticks and try and press the issue or just allow them to score. If you're just going to play so soft and so conservative, let them score and at least have the time on the clock. Because this half measure that seemingly was the call last night just drives me absolutely insane. Yeah, to your point, like 
it's almost the perfect time to be super aggressive in that situation, right? Yes. Um, on, on the good side, if you are super aggressive and you get home and cause chaos and maybe get a sack or a turnover or something, you just win the game in all likelihood. Mm-hmm. Um, on the bad side, if you are super aggressive and you allow an immediate touchdown, all right, that sucks. But now you've got a lot of different outs because um, you probably have three minutes left on the clock. You have the opportunity to go down, maybe put a touchdown drive together and go and win, put a field goal drive together and tie. Or maybe even if like, if things go wrong immediately, like this day where you throw an interception, you still have the two minute warning and the three timeouts at your disposal. And maybe there's an opportunity to actually get the ball back. So I think in that scenario, it was basically the worst case scenario where you allow them to go down score the touchdown and get the clock all the way down to one minute. Tons I don't think like, I don't, when I look back at this, I don't think it's like, well, they didn't have enough time at the end. They had a minute and three timeouts. That's plenty of time That's for lots them to go of time. Down. Yeah. Um, exactly. So I don't think that this is like some huge thing where like they didn't allow the offense enough time. They had time. It wasn't necessarily that, but um, it would have been nice to have more time and it would have been nice to give yourself a few more outs in that situation. Uh, so yeah, I'm, I'm totally with you. And going back to, to Joe Barry, yeah, I think these last four games on the whole have been some of the best work that he's done on the season. There's still issues there. And this this like final drive needing a stop when your team needs it most and not being able to get it has been something that's reared its ugly head before. And it, it showed itself again in this particular game. I mean, to, to me, though, through the course of the game, again, we already talked about the not, you know, not letting them not just double up, but not getting any points on those two drives, allowing seven points in the first half. Should have been probably a pick or maybe even a pick six by Darnell Savage. Keyshawn Nixon was in a stop, a, a place to make a pick. The Christian McCaffrey touchdown run. Darnell Savage is right Savage, in the hole right to stop there. that. Yeah. Um, it, you know, there's so heck even on the last play. I mean, whether they were trying to let him score or not, certainly looked like Jonathan Owens was trying to tackle him short of the end zone mm-hmm. and uh, couldn't get the job done. Like there's there's players in positions all throughout that game to make plays and get stops. Heck, even the field goal drive in that game was a seven play 14 yard drive by the, by the 49ers because it was set up by the interception by Jordan. So I, I like a lot of the stuff that the defense did in this game. To me, it, it does not cover a multitude of sins over three seasons and really the course of his career in every one of his stops. If you haven't had a top 20 defense, from a DVOA standpoint in your entire career. And again, multiple teams, multiple organizations, right. That's probably just not good enough. And I think you're at a point where this team's really freaking good. And if roster building is going to be a 365 day a year job for Brian Gutekunst, every little incremental move matters. And if a wink Martindale or somebody like that is 3% better as a defensive coordinator, that 3% could matter exponentially going into a season where you're having a lot higher expectations this year. So my guess, Aaron, is that he's probably back. I'm sure that's maybe your guess as well, but it's complicated. It's complicated. And I, I'm going to be interested to see what decision they ultimately come to. What I keep thinking is everything you just pointed out, the savage missed tackle on McCaffrey is the one for me, because again, as a coordinator, your job is to put guys in position to succeed. Right. I mean, Savage twice in that game, whether it's that yep. missed tackle or the missed interception. I mean, Joe, for the most part, did that. And again, I absolutely abhor his approach to that final drive. But throughout the balance of the game, did a pretty damn good job. And yep. what I keep coming back to is like those missed tackles, missed plays, and the need to improve just the overall talent level slash core. Everyone talks about 
all these first rounders, et cetera. But there's context yeah. there. You know, there's yeah. there's things you can talk about. Like, but on the flip side, I do wonder what a new approach and a new kind of teaching voice would have. You talk about Wink Martindale. I just look at someone like uh, Mike McDonald in uh, Baltimore and how Patrick Queen looked like, I'm not going to say a lost cause, but he looked pretty rough his first few years in the league. You give him a running mate and you got a new voice, a new system, a new uh, set of rules and things you're being asked to do. And he has turned into a legitimate player. I mean, really, really good. I see that in Quay Walker. I see that all the talent is there. I mean, it just feels like he's being asked to do things that he's probably not great at. Yep. And I think I find that more and more as I look across the defensive side of the ball. But I also can hear a case for, well, we're real close. We just need to, you know, grow or up the talent floor on the defensive side of the ball. I think, and I'm with you, I think that's the way they're probably going to go. That's not what I would do, but I suspect that's how they'll go. I think Matt will retain Joe and they'll try to fill those holes on defense, mostly through the draft, maybe a few free agency signings. But yeah, I think that's where this is headed because as you said, over the course of the last, basically since Matt said he was going to get more involved on the defensive side of the ball, and I can only take him at his word since that moment, they have improved and they've seemed to have found a way of working on that side of the ball that can be at least a bit more effective. Now, is it championship level defense? I don't know. I doubt it. But again, that's where I think the signs point. Have you seen anything definitive? I know I've heard rumblings, but have you seen anything definitive that Barry's contract is just up? I have heard that a million times, but I've never seen concrete evidence. Neither have I. Any concrete report, someone who's actually seen the contract. And I think if anyone gets that, it's going to be Domofsky. He's usually the one who's got that. But yeah, no, I haven't seen that. If that is the case, I do think that changes the calculus slightly because there is yep, a difference agreed. between just letting a guy walk and saying, hey, we're going to go in a different direction and firing them. And I think the yep. other thing, too, is I know Dallas is doing the one year thing with Mike McCarthy, but you're usually not, especially when you do a new contract with someone, yep. you're not going to be like, we're just signing you to a one year deal. That's not usually the way that it works. So there does have to be some legitimate thought of like, do you want to put a three or four year contract down for Joe Barry and say, this is our guy moving forward. So I do think there is some complexity here. If I get, if I'm betting on it today, I'm saying he's probably back, but if that is the case that he is legitimately just not under contract and, and free to go, I think there is the opportunity for Matt to say, all right, we just got to try something different. We'll see. We'll see. Yeah. And then of course, talking about trying something different, like they did on special teams a couple of years ago when they got Rich Bisaccia in the house. Man, the fighting Rich Bisaccias had a really good night until they had a really bad moment. Yeah. Uh, between, yes, you mentioned the kick return, the blocked kick at the end of the first half. Really, I thought good coverage on most of, from most of the units. And then the missed kick from a guy that, you know, they clearly, clearly played with fire, knowing yeah. he had missed so many kicks throughout the course of the last like 12 games or so you knew it was going to come back to bite them the way you knew Mo Drayton's crew was going to come back to bite you and did against the 49ers and Lambeau a couple years ago there was no doubt in my mind that he was going to cost them and he did at the worst possible time him being Carlson obviously it's hard for me to sit here and say like okay well this is draft and develop they know that there are going to be, you know, 
bumps in the road. Well, that bump in the road just cost you an appearance in the NFC Championship game. Yeah. And it's a squandered opportunity. And I have given Brian his flowers. I completely think he is the man for the job in Green Bay as GM. Amazing last couple of draft classes. Thinks he's done an incredible job turning the page from Rodgers to love. All of that. But, man, this kind of, okay, we are going to go with this kid come hell or high water when it was very clear that he would cost them eventually in a major important moment, a game that would have had you on the doorstep of the Super Bowl. Sorry, he gets to wear that. That's 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 on Brian. It, it and the hard part is just exactly that you mentioned it is it was so easily predictable. You could see it coming from a million miles away, and it just makes it that much more painful. It's really tough with kicker because um, with some different position, if you're like, hey, we're going to develop this guy and it's a six wide receiver. All right. He sits on the back of the bench and you can develop that wide receiver. Jordan can develop for three years under Jordan Love. Um, If Jordan had to play as a rookie, it probably would have been worse than what, you know, Anders Carlson put on tape this Mm -hmm. year. Like there's certain positions where you can legitimately draft and develop and let them sit for a while. Caleb Jones had a red shirt season again this year in his second year. It's hard to do that at kicker. However, there does come a point in time where the play on the field is clearly telling you a story. And there were so many missed extra points and so many missed field goals. You know, you end up with 13 on the year. He was four of nine from 40 to 49 yards and really kind of that sweet spot of where you really need to step up like four of nine um, at the end of this, after this, this past game where he's just, it's, it's the play on the field is telling you this isn't good enough. Very akin to Amari Rogers as a punt returner where everyone is very clearly and obviously seeing like, Guys, this just just isn't working out. You can all see it. It it just you have to make the change. And if they want to still develop him, they have an open fifty-three man roster spot. And I want to be very clear. I'm not saying that at this point in the season, there's a clear and obvious kicker that you can go and sign. I know the Mason Crosby's or whatever. There's not a guarantee that they come in and just are a great kicker either. But you can probably find somebody that from 45 and under, (laughs) you can rely upon better than what we've seen from Anders Carlson so far. And you have an open roster spot. So even if you want to do that back end of the roster, we're going to redshirt him or we're going to give him a little bit of time because we believe in him. There is an opportunity to do that. And instead, you stay the course. Rich is asked about it, and he's unwilling to talk about it this week. Um, and those things are going to cut the, the margin in every game, but especially in games like this, is beyond razor thin. And yes, we can point to... 20 other plays through the course of this game that also could have changed the outcome. Which we have. That's the thing. It's okay to talk about the kicker missing a really important kick. And you can also understand that, yes, Savage dropped it at interception. It would have been a pick six. Like, we understand that. But that doesn't absolve you from the decision to stick with a guy. This is a a decision that was in their control before they kicked off. The fact that you, like you're talking about, that you saw the train coming down the tracks and just said, well, lady tied to the tracks, sorry. And then just kept walking, you know, we have, we have, a, we have a belief. The train's not going to hit you. We, we, we're pretty sure that train is going to slow down. And, uh, I just, that's what's so frustrating. It's like these opportunities, maybe they come along all the time in green Bay. That's what it feels like, but they're so precious. And to just not do everything in your power to take advantage is just troubling. And it, here's the thing. It's like, and I don't know if this is Brian or because Brian was under Ted or if it's a green Bay Packers thing, it does feel like sometimes they think they're smarter than everybody else. And I get it. I think they're really good at what they do. I have no qualms about, again, Brian's leadership as general manager, et cetera. But man, it's like, 
everyone in the world can see this, yet you are so pig-headed about, nope, we're going to stick with it. And now here's the other thing. You know they're going to bring in some competition, quote-unquote, in, in summer in the training camp, and yep. he'll undoubtedly still keep the job because now you've lived through the growing pains. You've lived through the heartache. If you're drafting and developing, well, that's the development part, hopefully. Yeah. And next year he better be better because – I can't see them cutting him because I've seen so many people. That, he better be cut like as soon as they leave. Like, no. Not not if you're happen. drafting and develop, this is the pain. They yeah. better not cut him. The, I mean, I think we're going to know, like, based on the 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 status of the competition. Like, is it someone legit right. or is just just like some undrafted kicker out of, you know, Duke? Um, like, <laughs> <laughs> That's the perfect school. Perfect you know, if, for this scenario. So we'll we'll see if they actually get legitimate competition or if it's you know something like that. But um, listen, the Packers are the most loyal franchise in the world to players and coaches, and they give them every opportunity. And sometimes, like Rasheed Walker this year, man, I don't know of a single soul after four or five games of Rasheed Walker that was like, "Yep, just keep him in there; it's going to get better." <laughs> um, but man, did it get better in a very significant way to the point where you're like, "Yeah, I feel comfortable with that guy being the left tackle." moving forward. And that's a huge step for the franchise to have that type of player. And a lot of it was because they stayed the course and they stayed loyal, but man, for every Rashid Walker, it definitely feels like there's a Mo Drayton and Amari Rogers, uh, uh, you know, uh, Anders Carlson. And we can probably make that list quite a bit longer if we wanted to. Um, but they, they, they win some of those, but man, when they lose some of those, it just really twists the knife in. And this one, this one definitely stings. It crushes your soul is what it does. It does. But, you know, enough of that. There is a lot of promise and there is a lot of hope going forward as a Green Bay Packers fan. I love where this team is and how it's Absolutely. positioned going forward. Um, real quick, before I let you go, I'm going to give you some rapid fire uh, prediction offseason questions. Because Let's do it. I get a million of them. We already did the Joe Barry thing, so we got that out of the way. A uh, couple, couple for you here. A, number one. Uh, what do you think happens with David Bakhtiari? Because I must get asked this. You're talking about Rashid Walker, right? Who absolutely played his out of his mind there down the stretch of this yep. season. Does he get back relegated to the bench when Bakhtiari comes back? Do they keep Bakhtiari? Do they cut him and take his cap hit and let him play for someone else while doing so? Like, what do you think happens with Bakhtiari? Yeah, this is obviously a super nuanced answer, but um, I think it all depends if he's healthy. If he's not healthy, like ready to go into the season, you're probably just stuck with him because you release him. You end up with the injury settlement that might end up being just like the cost of keeping him anyway. Like right. that just gets super complicated. Assuming he's healthy, then there's two options. One is you release him and, you know, actually the first one is that you go to him and say, we can't pay you 21 million. We would love to have you on the team but we need to restructure this thing because we don't even know if you're going to make it through two games before something happens again. We can't do 21 million guaranteed. Once you play your first game of the season, we got to restructure. And he says, Nope. And then you're like, all right, let's release you and you can go sign with whoever you want. We'll happily take our 21 million back and you can go play with Aaron probably in New York. And everyone just kind of goes their own way. Um, if he says yes, and you get your franchise left tackle and he plays like an all pro, that's a great solution. But I, I would tend to believe that, this probably goes in a different direction. The injury stuff clouds it insanely, but I'm going about this offseason is that David Bakhtiari's probably played his last snaps in Green Bay. And for some reason, if I'm wrong and he plays and he plays at the same all pro level that he's always played at, I will take it as a bonus at that point. No doubt about it. And then Aaron Jones, the other veteran yeah. who clearly dealt with injuries all year, but completely turned their offense up to another 
kind of wattage when he returned. You see how important he is, but Father Time is undefeated, and he has been nicked up pretty much every year. What do you think they do, given his salary cap situation and his contract? I think they figure out a deal. Lead pipe lock. He's back on the team. I would be beyond shocked. He's the lead pipe team. lock from Herman. Holy cow. I know. He's back. Wow. No question. Uh, get it tattooed. Um, I, I, I like, I just can't imagine with the importance that he is to that locker room and what he brought to the team in the second half, you have to get a backup for him. That brings more juice and you have to start looking for his successor moving forward. But uh, no, I think Aaron Jones a million percent back next year. So, you know, there you go. That's how we like to leave it on a really positive note. You love Beautiful. to see it. Andy can't thank you enough. Thanks so much for chatting with me all season long. I really appreciate it. Uh, we'll talk soon. Right back at you, my friend. Appreciate it a ton. Have a good one.